Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we try to serve up some of the big solutions to big problems. And we want to add to the volume of those innovations and help them become actual things, especially in our current pandemic. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, a PhD and a science wizard. I think he's he's cranked up his old uh, his old timey internet machine. Where are you, Tyler? Are you start you are you still in the states? Tyler, I am in the state. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Can you? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I am bringing. I am bringing you guys today the front porch of innovation <laughs> from the porch of my Black Hills cabin. He's gonna do this every time. Eventually, we'll get the whole thing together. We'll do like a mega mix. I think we cut about every sixth word there, though. So that was uh, Joe. We just heard from. He's a He's a he's a Dr. Law dog and an entrepreneur werewolf. Hi, Joe. I am, and I'm not in high Earth orbit, so you can hear every syllable of there. my voice. <laughs> when I tell you, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Please rate and review it. Please let us know. Do you want to know the syllables you didn't get from Tyler? Because there's only <laughs> one way to get them, and that's to tune in every week to Innovation Network. Yes, you have to please forgive us in our technical difficulties as we're all just kind of winging it like everyone else here. Um, so uh, with all that said, I think it's time we went over a little bit more of the COVID stuff. And last time we talked about kind of all that we don't know, which got a little depressing. And I think I want to go over some things that maybe we're starting to know, perhaps, like how close are we to a vaccine? I think that's the, I have a note here, Joe, you're talking about 100 million doses by 2021 is that the goal is that possible in any 300 million doses actually 300 so. yeah. that said? that's why i think it said yeah yeah I, help me understand that's a big number and i can't wrap my head around it is is that so, i mean how like the flu the flu vaccine how many right. million doses of that are they making every every year I got to say this though like the flu vaccine you kind of got to get people to take but like if i had a covid vaccine I'd be like Hey, I'll take that. I mean, I don't think there's going to be uh, as much drama around whether vaccines are a thing, right? I think like that's like a global pandemic to realign people's priorities, right? Not necessarily a lot of arm twisting for that one. I'm just saying, you know, it's yeah. it's a hotter potato. Right? <laughs> I, I just three hundred million. You might be disappointed, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just curious, though. I mean, as far as production numbers go, I mean, is that are we? Are we making that kind of those numbers for any other vaccine in the world right now? Or is that, so is that a like moonshot kind of thing? That's a really good question, Charlie. And I think that like, you know, let's circle back to that at the very end. Cause I think okay. that the conversation really neatly leads there. I've been a um, noted uh, curmudgeon related when it comes to vaccine production, because I've said on the show before, it frustrates me that vaccines are kind of produced like they were, I don't know, 200 years ago or whatever, right? right. That you drug viral particles and do something so they ain't lethal no more and then stick them in people. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But if you want to be able to produce a large number of vaccine real quick, then you need to start like a year ago, you know, and, and there's not much else you can do about it. The thing that's really cool about what the, uh, the, the Trump administration has done with their announcement of the Warp Speed Project is that they are doing a couple of things that are interesting to really address your question. How do we get a lot of vaccine real quick? Um, and, and so the, the, the first thing that's really interesting is the kind of vaccines that they're, they're prioritizing. There, there are five candidates they've selected 
But one of the things that's kind of interesting about that is there's really not been a lot of transparency as to how they selected those, those vaccine candidates. And so I think if it all goes swimmingly and we're all vaccinated and immune to COVID and back to life is normal, then no one's really going to care. But I do think that if there are uh, issues that come up with either the production or distribution of the vaccine, then, then that's going to be an issue. So I think as long as everything goes great, no problem. But I do think that you know, if there are any unforeseen difficulties in this moonshot problem to create vaccines using different technology on a heretofore unimagined scale, if there's a hiccup with that, then people would be like, wait, 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 how did we choose these again? And yeah. uh, that's going to be a serious question. Hey, 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 hey Joe, Joe, yeah. Joe, are those five candidates, um, do they all take different approaches? I know at least there's at least two or three different approaches represented among the five, but are all five? different do you know so um i know the most about two of them um okay before we get into it one thing that is common though is that the warp speed program is doing something very unusual where as you get initial milestones passed and kind of the general scheme for fda approval is you have an initial study a phase one study where you inject the whatever it is you're testing into healthy people and see if it kills them and then you pass that if they don't die. And then phase two is kind of a limited study to see if it actually works on sick people. In this case, they're not sick people. They're healthy people still. But the first dose is to figure out if there are unexpected bad consequences. And if that passes, then you see if you produce the good consequence, which in this case is producing antibodies to, to COVID-19. Um, and so one of the things that's interesting about warp speed, regardless of the mechanism, along what Tyler is asking, is once you start in phase one, you can actually start production of that vaccine assuming it's going to work, which is really different. That's never been done before. And that's one of the ways, Charlie, in which we're going to try to be able to produce these large number of, of vaccine doses so quickly. It seems like this, this, I remember a project you and I, Joe, worked together on a couple years back, and I thought this was kind of the future of vaccine and treatments and it's in silica testing, right? Um, yep. And I and I, I would think that this would be just tailor made for a, you know a rapid response to a, a pandemic. You know, is anything like that being done? I mean, I know we didn't talk about this before, and we like to at least have a. I don't want a blindside. Oh, I love the curveballs. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I just feel like there's there's this just seems like this would be made for, for coming up That's with a really good point. And I definitely can see what you're, you're saying with that. The, the problem is though, is when you are doing in silico drug discovery, you're simulating something that's relatively simple. I mean, in relative terms, right? You have yeah. one smallish molecule that is going to interact with one smallish receptor. What you do with a vaccine is you try to figure out something on the size of the virus, which is generally bigger than the single receptor you're targeting and is there any antibody or any uh, i'm going to go with epitope but tyler feels please feel free to correct me if there's any sort of active part of the antibody that can actually recognize it and that's a much geographically bigger molecular nut to crack and hmm. so i think that the the scope of that would be dramatically be orders of magnitude more complicated than the drug discovery process so just just for the listeners, just real quickly, um, what I was talking about on Silicon, I'm talking about basically computer modeling and computer simulation to kind of identify uh, candidates for then more traditional experimentation. So I, I think, though, the thing that's been really cool about the Warp Speed program for me is that um, the, the selected candidates 
uh, and this goes to Tyler's question, of the five, two of them are technologically really interesting, um, as opposed to kind of conventional vaccine production where you grow a virus, find the active part of it, and then use that to make it. Um, what they're doing is they have one vaccine that is built on messenger RNA and one that's kind of built using a, almost like a dummy virus. And so the first one is it's the mRNA uh, vaccine that's produced by Moderna, and they're working on that with the NIH as well. And um, messenger RNAs are part of, of the fundamental operation of, of cells. So inside of Charlie, inside of Charlie's cells, you have Charlie's DNA. And Charlie's DNA lives inside the nucleus of all of his cells, and it's safe in there. And that DNA never really interacts with anything. It just stays there and, and doesn't get screwed up. So Charlie doesn't have you know, problems in the future. Instead, what it does is it scribbles out these little notes. These notes are, are the messenger RNAs. They're much smaller. They're not nearly as durable. And they just last long enough to have Charlie's DNA communicate with all the machines in his cells to get them to sort of make the different things that his cells need in order to survive. One of the, the viral, one of the vaccine candidates uses analogs of viral messenger RNAs or uses other messenger RNAs to alert your immune system that there's a virus present. This is a huge difference if it works because instead of having to grow up viruses using kind of a, a virus farm, you can use a machine to synthesize these messenger RNAs. They're much, much smaller. Um, they're difficult to produce because the messenger RNAs are a little fragile, but there's been a huge step in innovation before COVID-19 to make that much more feasible. And what that means is you have a much shorter process from identifying what it is you want to elicit an immune response to to actually being able to produce commercially available vaccine. And so it's not surprising that the Warp Speed project got really interested in this approach but it is still very, very different and kind of uh, cool that they're taking that approach. Does that approach have any effect on potential adverse effects of a vaccine? That's a really good question. And I think that unfortunately, no one's really gonna know. There have not been any vaccines done utilizing this approach. I can't think of any vaccines that use nucleic acids. Uh, this is a good Tyler question. Tyler, do you know of anything along those lines? You're, you're more versed in this stuff than I am. Did before and hasn't succeeded. So this is so so going back to the unfortunately going back to the original question of how likely are people to take the vaccine <laughs> once it's made. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of people will trust the science, but there there will be some people skeptical. So <laughs> got it. I. I think you need to recalibrate the magneto out there on, on Funkin' Wagnall's porch, Tyler. Dial <laughs> <laughs> up the satellite gate, bro. Um, but yeah, I think to Tyler's point. Um, Keep your fingers on the antenna, Tyler. Get your kids to wave their arms. Um, no, I, I think to Tyler's point that, you know, there have been efforts to try nucleic acid-based um, vaccines before, and, and, you know, there's a reason they don't do them for the most part. I mean, you know, to, to shut the earlier version of me up, yes, it's cool to do it new ways, but people stick with things that work for a reason, because they work. Um, the dilemma is, is that we can't 
wait that long. And so we've got this moment where everyone's interested in these types of approaches. Maybe one of the coolest legacies of COVID-19 is that we'll finally have effective on-demand vaccine production. Okay, um, so now I want to circle back to the question I asked at the top, yeah, then. How do we get to 300 million? So one of the reasons you can get to 300 million is that instead of having to grow up all of the virus that you want to produce to produce a vaccine, you can make it in a factory. So that's one way that you do it. If your messenger RNA oh, right. okay. vaccine works, then you don't have to grow it. You can just sort of produce it. Got I think it. Um, the other sort of the second interesting or novel approach that they're taking to uh, this is uh, AstraZeneca is working on this with uh, Oxford. Um, and uh, this is, again, one of the farmers, both the Moderna vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine we're about to talk about. They're going to go into phase three this summer meaning that they've already done a limited study in people and shown that they are able to elicit the immune response that they want, which means that now they're seeing if they can do it in a larger population. And, you know, everyone's a special snowflake, uh, me especially, but the, their, their immune response is going to be different. And so it's a big kind of hold your breath moment when you go from doing it on dozens of people to hundreds of people right. because everyone's immune system is, is a little bit different. Yes, you um, are the snowflakiest, yes. I am, you know, it's, 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 it's a curse and a blessing. Um, but AstraZeneca's approach, uh, also special, is they're using an adenovirus. And uh, I, I invite our listeners to correct me if I'm, I'm not right on this, but the adenovirus is actually more like a cold virus. It's not COVID-19. And instead of trying to do the messenger RNA trick where you use one of the things that's produced by the virus to cue your immune system that you have a virus present. They are taking a less lethal virus, actually a non-lethal virus. This is a virus that's used for like gene editing and stuff. And they're basically dressing it up like COVID-19. They're putting a COVID-19 hat on it and a COVID-19 sash on it and just trucking it out. And so that way, you know, there's already industrial scale production of this virus. So it's kind of less innovative than using a totally different kind of molecule. I don't mean it like that, but it's not as big a departure as producing a nucleic acid instead of another virus, but it's producing a virus for which we already have farms of. And so they can modify this virus to make it appear more like COVID-19 and elicit an immune response. And again, both of these have already demonstrated limited efficacy in smaller populations. So you're talking about them both have done, both of those virus, or sorry, both of those vaccines have been through phase one and phase two? Yeah, they both completed phase two. The Moderna virus, uh, God, the Moderna vaccine, all them V words, man. Yeah. I made the same mistake. Um, they they're going to go into clinical study. They're going to go phase three in July. I don't know when the AstraZeneca one is, but the impression I got from reading is it's going to be hot on its heels. Okay. Um, but the thing is, interesting, both of them, they're already assuming success. They're already starting to produce and scale up their manufacturing. And that's a big part of it because none of the, the, the way the modern pharmaceutical industry works, it's not like, you know, AstraZeneca or Pfizer or any of them do all of these things in house. They have a network of super specialized experts that run their own companies that have a, a list of contractors. Mm -hmm. They've already identified all that. And so if it works, then they got a big switch that you just pour money into and it makes vaccine. And, and that's really a big deal because if this stuff is cool and it works, but you can't make it, then what good is it, right? And so now everything is, is kind of very well thought through. And so to go back to the original conception of the warp speed program, 
it is great to do things fast, but they really do seem to be thinking through, okay, if this is successful, what are we going to need in two months? What are we going to need in five months? How do we keep scaling it? And while it's probably not going to go off without a hitch, um, at least they are, you know, really thinking about how do we get to that end point where we want, which is long lines for people getting all the vaccine they need. Okay. So I just want to ask quickly about the, is there something different? Maybe it's a better question for Tyler, but you know, is there something different about a vaccine versus say a, a medication or a treatment that makes it maybe inherently safer or less risky for failure? I'm just actually, to I think it's the inverse. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's actually much more stringent regulation around and uh, uh, bringing a new vaccine to market. Yeah. Because a, a, a treatment um, at a minimum, you just show that the treatment, uh, you know, doesn't, so, so actually, I'll back up. So with a treatment, you're going to be giving it to someone who's already sick, right? With a vaccine, you're giving it to someone who's otherwise healthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, so a bigger uh, burden to prove you're not going to make them sick by giving them the vaccine. Um, and then I'll also just add really quick while, I, while you have me, and if I have good enough signal um, <laughs> right now, that, that actually, so, so Charlie, you latched onto the 300 million doses, the quantity of dosing as being, you know, uh, maybe significant. Actually, the more significant uh, thing here, if we could get this done, as Joe's, I think, done a good job emphasizing, is this would revolutionize how we do vaccines, not in terms of quantity. The quantity is trivial, but by these two methods of production, it's relatively trivial. The more significant component would be how quickly we could could bring vaccines to market. Yeah, that's, that's cool. My uncle always used to tell me, it's the first vaccine dose that's hard to make. The rest of them, easy. Okay. So, um, so then, I mean, to that point, then you're talking about going into a phase three trial here, basically within weeks, to be fair. Um, how long before we can know with any certainty whether or not they work? Uh, I'm probably not gonna be able to give you a lot of detail on that, but their aim is to have all of these done by the end of the year, as in we're going to be vaccinating people in January. That sounds like good news. That sounds very hopeful and optimistic. Then let's stop talking. Uh, <laughs> please make a note to check uh, the program notes. We'll have links to various news articles regarding the, uh, the the biology and the current status of the Warp Speed program. Yes, I also, as we come to ground, I want to thank our sponsors, Unimed, the Technology Transfer Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska, and uh, KVNO Recording Studios, which, as you may have noticed by the sound of us, we are not there um, for the social distancing, but um, we want to give them a shout-out for all their help and generosity over the, over the past couple of months. Um, so for Tyler Sharon, Joe Runke, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you, and please join us every Monday on Unimed's Innovation Overground.